0: Hey, Local Bites listeners. It's your host here, Amin Yazdani. We're taking a break while we work on an exciting new format for the show. We want to bring you even more valuable conversations, tackling the real life challenges and opportunities local restaurant operators are facing today. The Local Bites podcast is dedicated to equipping leaders of local restaurants and coffee shops, just like yourself, with the information and inspiration you need to fuel your success. I can't give too much away just yet, but we are sure that our new structure will do just that. In the meantime, we'll be hitting Rewind on some of our favorite Local Bytes episodes. So if you're drooling for some more Local Bytes stories, we've got you covered. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Local Bytes Podcast. I'm Amin Yazdani, your host. It's not easy to start and run a local restaurant. There's a big upfront investment, tight margins, and lots of hard work. Some might say you need to be a little bit crazy to run a successful restaurant. Yet we all know amazing local entrepreneurs who take on this challenge every day. These people make our local communities stronger. Every week, I host one of these amazing people to share their story. Welcome, everyone. So my guest today is Quentin Meloff, uh, the operations manager for Alouette Go. Uh, So Alouette Go was founded during COVID-19 pandemic and on the back of another brand, uh, Alouette, which was a fine dining restaurant in downtown Toronto. Uh, now, pandemic forced the restaurant to really explore takeout and introduce takeout service, which was hugely successful, but also conflicted with their fine dining brand. So in today's episode, we're going to be really focusing on switching your business model from fine dining to quick service restaurants. What are the challenges that comes with that and how you can go about uh, solving those challenges? Quentin, welcome to Local Bites Podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. It should be a, a good conversation.
0: Absolutely. So let's start with that. How do you go about managing conflict between uh, maintaining the quality of the fine dining and creating a cost-effective, cost-sensitive quick service uh, slash takeout uh, concept? Uh, let's let's talk about that, that side of it first.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very unique situation uh, that we find ourselves in. So Alouette Go is part of the Aloe Food Group, which is known from Aloe Restaurant, which is perennially uh, one of the best restaurants in Canada, super high-end, fine dining. Uh, Very similar to Alouette on Spadina, which was our original location, which was again took a lot of influence from a little bit of higher end of dining. And then on the other end of things, we have uh, Alouette Go, which is a quick service restaurant. And when I think about it, actually, there probably isn't a whole lot of use cases where a company has a fine dining restaurant, and then suddenly says, "Okay, we're going to throw our throw our hat into the quick service game." So we've learned a lot of lessons, um, and it's really important. What the, the the most important part was understanding who your customers were. So if your customers at your customers at Aloe and Alouette um, are going to be very different than the customers at Alouette Go, and you have to learn very quickly on the fly what works for uh, the customer over there and the customer here. And apply those lessons that you learned really quickly. Otherwise, you're really going to struggle.
0: What were the biggest differences between those two different groups of customers that you had to really adjust, undergo uh, uh, to, to that differences? Um, I, I think
1: I think my mentor uh, John Bunner said it, he said it really well. So at Allo, for example, we always just trusted that if we put out the best product every single day, that the customers will eventually come. Uh, there were days at Allo where it, When Aloe first opened, it took a little while for it to pick up a little bit of momentum. But once it did, it was a freight train. Once people found out it was there, uh, they knew it was incredible, and it's incredible every single day. In quick service, you can't be subtle. Uh, You need to be loud. You need to be in people's faces. Uh, You actually can't trust that the customer knows that your quality of beef is higher than it is at mcdonald's or at any other quick service restaurant you really have to put your foot forward and say this is the best um and that was a big thing that was different and the customers uh they they need to know that they need that reassurance they need a little bit of social proof to order from you because there are they are spending a little bit more money um, than they would at their standard quick service restaurant
0: so you decided that that goes pricing is a little bit higher than than the standard quick service restaurant so you need to Drive that messaging that defines like why this is better. But the, the question that I have is like, what about your uh, your your menu? Do you need to change a lot of things in your menu to fit into the quick service uh, realm? Because like not everything will go really well with in, in a takeout model, right?
1: Yeah, you're right. We uh, actually, when Alouette uh, Liberty, when it first opened, uh, we led with a lot of our items from our, our original location. Uh, we launched with those. We ran with those for quite a while, for about a year. Um, we took this cult classic, the alouette Burger, which is this uh, five and a half ounce burger uh, that we cook medium. We had brioche bun and all all the uh, all the fixings that you would like, and it was amazing when it's in a dine in restaurant. But when we're putting it into a package and then we're sending it twenty five minutes in an Uber, it's not the same as if it were yeah. kind of just more of your classic burger. So we really had to make some big adjustments to our menu to make sure that they're, A, more appealing to a wider audience, and B, that they actually hold up when they travel.
0: What about, like, because you didn't do takeout before that, probably you need to now learn what are the best ways to do the takeout. Like, what are the containers that you need to use? What's good for a burger that needs to stay warm? Like, how did you go about learning all of those things? Those are probably, like, hard things to figure out on a
1: day-to-day basis. We, we learn on the fly. Uh, you basically have to make mistakes and quickly, uh, quickly change as you go. Um, what's actually pretty funny about packaging is, again, we come from a fine dining background. We found our packaging supplier f- through the restaurant that we took over. Because we saw in the back that there was actually like some packaging left over. We looked at the back like in, <laughs> a little underneath, like, oh, oh, there's there's Mayer products. And uh that's been our supplier since uh since we've opened. Um but we learned a lot by really leaning on our suppliers and our producers. Um, I mean actually just like an hour ago, I was talking to our uh packaging packaging supplier about different options uh for later on in the year because we're always just trying to learn and evolve. Um so again, with not having a ton of expertise, just kind of collectively in a quick service uh, side of things, we just really lean on our suppliers. So um, we really like to talk to them. I mean, I'll talk to our beef supplier. I talked to them this morning, just like finding different ways to do things faster, more efficiently, and bringing in a better product that we can actually serve to our customers that make more sense for our model. And they usually have really good ideas. Yeah,
0: well, they, they are serving a lot of different restaurants, so they can learn from from those restaurants and like pass the learnings to the to the new people that are now starting with with the new concept. So that's that's absolutely 100%. great. It's great. Uh, the other question that I had is that now starting a brand off of the, off the back of another brand usually has its benefits because some people will know your your previous brand, otherwise, and then now you're uh, starting this new brand on top of it. But having such a different brand are so so different from each other fine dining versus quick restaurant you can probably you can't rely on getting new customers just off of the back of the previous brand how do you go about getting new customers for this new brand for the at go yeah that was a that was a tricky one because when
1: you already have a following so our founder uh, Patrick Chris who's the owner of Yellow Food Group he's like it, himself he's he's marketing in a, on his own right he's got a cult following mm-hmm. the restaurants already have a cult following so it's so easy to just consistently lean into that following and be like okay the people that like alo are gonna like us until you find out that like they they don't really like what we're doing so we got to find mm-hmm. new customers and, and the way that we do that i mean it's, it's very organically right we try to grow just organically on social media we work with influencers uh we work with people in the neighborhood um we do all those kind of like small things that you need to do as a small business nowadays, um, optimize your website for SEO and make sure that every single time somebody is Googling a burger in Toronto, we come up on the list um, and just maximizing yeah. those things. So it's really important at the end of the day.
0: That's interesting. The other side of, again, starting, I think your, your story is starting a brand off, off the top of the, the, the previous brand. Is sometimes people will worry about the fact that the new brand could uh, take away uh, some of the customers of the other brand like will will make it worse affect the sales and success of the previous brand negatively how does how, how does, has that experience been for you guys in terms of potential effect of having Alouette go on the other brands that are more fine dining
1: well that's again a, a big reason why we made that switch so again we're kind of in a good position because uh, we get to see how busy dine-in restaurants are and we get to see how busy quick service restaurants are in our own portfolio. Cause we have both. Um, and so we wanted to make sure they never really intersected. So yeah. we obviously saw as the pandemic kind of started to slowly, you know, kind of slow down, I would say kind of in May, we saw that our uh, quick service orders were kind of going down. And then we saw like our dine-in orders were kind of going up and yeah. we always had this kind of internal conversation that, it was always good. It was great to see, like, Alouette was really busy on Spadina, like, just getting busier and busier and busier and busier as the pandemic started to slow and slow and slow. And uh, we were like, are we just can't, like, is Alouette Spadina just cannibalizing the customers that used to order from Alouette Liberty? If so, that's an amazing situation to have. Like, A, people are still ordering from you regardless. But B, if you want to grow both brands, you have to make a big separation between the two
0: yeah so how i I know that the second location uh, is now on on the on the way for the Allied go um so how do you go from one location to the second location on on a new concept like that of course you have a lot of experience on the other end of it on the fine dining what are the differences that you need to really consider when you're expanding a quick service restaurant versus a fine dining restaurant
1: i think it all comes down to operations i was a I was actually listening to a podcast. I think it was yesterday with uh, the sweet green founders and, uh, they made a really good point that sometimes you just have limitations in your menu that if you want to grow, if you want to expand, if you want to scale and do all of those things and, and really hit all your goals, sometimes it means that you have to say no to a new menu item that's just amazing. But you know what? It takes 12 hours to make or the prep, mm. the prep takes two days or it's a very specific cut that we probably can actually execute or it's we need to get this one item from a very specific supplier and uh, it it comes at a certain time of year. Sometimes you just got to make those tough decisions. And the other side is you got to make sure your systems run really smooth and slowly create systems, creating systems for everything across the board is, is really important when you have one restaurant, one person, if they're at that caliber can really impact the day to day. Mm -hmm. Like if I wanted to spend all of my time at Alouette go, at the liberty village location uh, it'd be obviously running very smoothly day in and day out but at a certain point you just can't keep operating like that if you want to grow and expand you mm-hmm. can't do that so it's you need to make systems so that everybody who comes into the shop can go from day one to day 60 we have a pretty long training process we, we're not like we don't want to get somebody from day zero to day five fully proficient it takes a little while we want to make them suitable in their position in a short-ish in a short-ish period of time. So they're always executing things on a day-to-day basis. But yeah. that comes back, that comes to systems and making sure that we're always taking ownership of what we can do to make them succeed.
0: How are those systems different for your quick service restaurants versus the fine dining restaurant? Because like the concepts probably completely different systems. I mean, there's a lot, there is some overlap,
1: if I'm going to be honest, which is, which is great. We want to be somewhat the antithesis of what the standard fast food restaurant is. But, we kind of found over time. So all of our systems, when we first opened, if I had kind of put on a scale here, we were taking all of our stuff from, you know, the aloe, the aloe, the fine dining side. And then we've kind of found out, let's say like the Popeyes and the McDonald's are over here and they have systems that, that work really well, right? And we yeah. had to slowly, you know, start over here and just like, slowly bring it over there <laughs> and you know not all the way obviously we never want to go that far but just just little things here and there like okay there's an easy way to like, easier way to cut something oh okay we can get this uh let's talk to our meat supplier can we get the burger you know the, the burger grind done fresh daily for us so we don't have to do it in a house and cut it in house like mm-hmm. okay that's a little bit easier oh the can we work with a different bun supplier who's actually going to cut all the buns every day mm-hmm. and bake them the same every single day if the answer is yes okay let's start implementing those systems because that's what's really important to us and it, it, again it, it always comes back to suppliers the game's all supplier base that's what quick service really is
0: that's that's very interesting that's that's very interesting um so so what what you're saying is that basically in order to improve your systems not only you need to change your system but you need to find new suppliers that actually can work in this new system and that that's the important part of it yeah
1: yeah there's a there's a really interesting book um, I'm sure most people, have, I guess, in the quick service have read it. It's the the Ray Kroc book, and you know that, that book's, you know, it's good and bad. There's a lot of uh, self promotion that he writes in there, but there's amazing stories about how his best friend was his steel supplier. Right, um, when their operations guy came in to set up a new area or set up a new area for franchises, the first person he talked to was their cardboard supplier. For the cardboard supplier doing the for when they're shipping the buns, it's all about mm-hmm. creating
0: those relationships with your suppliers and they can help you out. They really are your lead people. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So, how would you go about finding new suppliers for the quick service restaurant that can fit into that model for you? Like, of course, like you, you mentioned, how you found your, your packaging supplier, but you're not going to be lucky that, that, that way for, for all, all your suppliers. That was that was lucky
1: I mean we our, our meat supplier we actually knew for qu- quite a while we didn't use their their product yet at, uh, at spadina but we we I don't know I kind of knew them for quite a while I reached out to them initially like hey we're looking at switching something up we want to keep this premium premium grind I uh, want to keep everything local mm-hmm. um, can you guys do this and it's all about asking really at the end of the day everything that you do you just got to kind of reach out and ask people I mean the bun, yeah. the bun. So we switched to the bun. Uh, it's got to be just over a month ago. It took me about a month to find the right supplier. So you're just asking around, asking around. And if the person you're talking to can't do it for you, what's the harm in asking them? Like, hey, do you know someone else who can? Uh, most people want to help you at the end of the day. So you find out over time, you just kind of build kind of a roll decks of uh, contacts. And obviously, when we mention the Aloe food group, most people want to work with you. So sometimes they will of course, sometimes I'll bend the bend the rules. That's what we found. Our meat supplier, he's like, I wouldn't normally do this, but like since it's you guys, we'll we'll make it work. And then you kind of create like little handshake yeah. deals here and there. Like you go pretty far.
0: It never hurts to ask. It never hurts to ask. To sometimes ask. like they might not do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've never had a I've never had a situation where uh, you asked and they said no. And I was, like, up in arms about it. Like, you just got to ask. But at the end of the day, if they say no. They say no. That's that's fine. Just move on to the next one.
0: Change of gears a little bit. So it's been about 18 months for you guys starting Alouette Go and running that. So let's talk about the unexpected problems that you had to deal with. Give us a few examples of what you encountered. How do you transition in that transition from fine dining to quick service restaurant? What were the biggest challenges that you had to deal with? The things that, like bothered you that that took you that that bothered you that wouldn't let you sleep at night so let's 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 maybe mention a few of those because i think that's going to be important I yeah
1: wouldn't let me sleep at night i mean there's there's a there's a bucket list of things i mean there's a couple funny stories like initially it doesn't happen anymore it took a long time for this to to stop occurring but every single day our, our customers or sorry our employees would pick up the phone and so i'd be asking for a reservation you know like a reservation. <laughs> so it's we have we have six we have six seats inside. It's a counter it's counter service. I'm like ah wrong location. And you'd be surprised how many times that happened. Uh, some of the surprises we had, right, was we kind of thought we get a little bit more like on premise walk in traffic, everything's optimized for that, and we found out that most customers want to order on Uber Eats. And how do you optimize for that at the end of the day? If there's something that keeps me up at night is when you look at, you know, your Uber commissions at the end of the month and you go, Holy, Holy smokes. Like that's, that's a lot of money that you gotta be paying. So you're, you're kind of reverse engineering everything because you know, at the bottom there, whatever line that is, line 118, that you want to make sure everything works, works out really well. So you got to kind of work backwards. Um, those are kind of the, the biggest challenges. And I think what was, but what's really great about it is it's a, an industry where, anybody can work in it and you can train anybody from day one to again, like day 60 and they can be just as good as me in a short period of time. If we provide them with great systems. So there's a lot that, you know, we, we concern ourselves with, but to kind of flip it, like at the other restaurants, it takes a long time to get somebody fully trained. Sometimes people can't even make their, can't even get their foot in the door to work in those restaurants, but we're open to working with anybody as long as they have a good attitude, want to show up and, and and, and do the work. There's no reason why someone who couldn't start today can't be our uh, kitchen manager or general manager in two years if they have the the right mindset. So that's like, that's the stuff that there's stuff that we get concerned about. That's what gets my, uh, my juices going every morning.
0: That's Uh, awesome. Uh, Did you guys have to deal with a lot of like, the worker shortage, as a lot of restaurants are, are, are mentioning that at all. Like, did you have to hire a lot of people because of the turnover?
1: Uh, we, we've we been very fortunate at uh, Alouette Go. Um, I can't speak for the other locations as much, um, but we've been pretty good. We, we had a lot of staff when I first uh, joined on this project. We run a lot leaner now just as a function of, you know, where we're at um, because we just want to be more efficient. But for the most part, we have a lot of staff that have been over with us for well over a year now. Um, which was, yeah, which was you know, it's actually like a, a surprise to us, right? Because usually in the quick service, quick service game, if somebody stays for over a year, it's kind of surprising. Um, but yeah, I think we have about three or four now that are well past their one year mark. We have a few coming up, um, and we want them to continue to grow with us. Or if or if not, yeah. try and find. That next placement, that next job for them, and hopefully this is a great uh, stopping point on their resume. But we've been always, like honestly, been pretty fortunate.
0: That is awesome because, like, what, what what I hear from a lot of other restaurants are that some of them they have to deal with a lot of turn, turnover, especially as you mentioned in the quick service. The fact that you don't have to deal with that, I think, shows that your systems and, and pieces that you put in place, especially the training, I think that that works a uh, that that goes a long way of like training people correctly that's working like people don't they're they're not looking for another opportunity or to jump ship so that that is great
1: we took a lot of pride in it and then also our hiring hiring philosophy sometimes uh is a little bit different right we're willing to take a risk on somebody Mm -hmm. my first when i got into aloe they took a risk on me i would i had no experience i i started at aloe as the opening on the opening team in the front of house i never worked in the front of house of any restaurant ever and they took a flyer on me and it worked out pretty well and so we try to take that same mentality we try to hire more for what we're looking for from the eq side of things rather than the skills that they actually have and that's it doesn't always work like you know sometimes you if you're trying to hit a home run every single time you're going to strike out quite a bit and, and we have
0: but when you hit home runs they're fantastic yeah, no, that is great. The other thing that you mentioned, the Uber Eats side of things, and I think that, that goes true for, for about a lot of these third-party delivery uh, providers with, with quick service restaurant. How concerned are are you with the fact that these third-party delivery partners can make a huge portion of what's coming through to it to, to Go? Because w- w- one side of that is that you don't own the customers. So what if, whatever, something changes on, on Uber tomorrow. And those people are getting directed somewhere else. How, how do you think about that side of it? And is that a big risk for you? Is that do you consider that a big risk for, for the business or for, for quick service restaurants in general?
1: It's something we talk about uh, all the time. It's, it's a consistent conversation. And, it, and we're not, we don't get as concerned. I know I, I said earlier, right? We're always worried about the commission, but we don't concern it. It doesn't fully concern us every single day. What concerns us the most about that process is you really don't have any control from once you hand it off to the driver. I don't know what happens after that. If that person wants to go take a smoke, go stop at Tim Hortons, go get a slice of pizza, they might. And maybe the product when it gets to the final destination isn't as good. Um, But there's frankly nothing we can do about that. And then from the customer perspective though, it is very convenient. So I would understand why they would pay that um, that extra fee and wait a little bit longer um, and sure the, I guess the product isn't as good as they originally intended but they're still getting it because they're I guess you know they're putting convenience over everything else and we had to understand that that was another lesson that we had to learn is sometimes you know for lunch it's not about what the best item is it's what's closest to you so you know I I'm guilty of eating Freshie for lunch a lot, so I think every time I don't I don't mean to throw shade at Freshie. It's a great business, but uh, is it the best bowl I've ever had when I get it? No, but it gets the job done, and that sometimes you just can't win at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and if a customer at the end of the day is going to pick convenience over the most optimal version of our product, so be it. That's uh, you just kind of have to roll with the punches at, at that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially on a quick service restaurant, that's that's an important uh, concept to really realize. And th- that's one of the big differences between a quick service and the fine dining. That like a lot of times it comes down to, to that convenience point.
1: That's uh, critical. I mean, it's, it, it comes back to another thing we talked about earlier about you can't just sit back and, and wait for your customers to come to you. Sometimes you you got to come to them, especially in the, in the quick service game.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Quentin, one other question on, on that side. Now you have gone through this transition from fine dining to quick service restaurant, changing the business model, which is a quite a big change in all the processes and all of that. What advice would you give to someone, uh, someone else that's wanting to transition from the restaurant from, from full service to quick service, or that they want to build a brand on, off the back of their full service restaurant on the quick service side?
1: Well, I'll- first preface it with that we still have the the two you know our other restaurants are still operating so we didn't we didn't take like you know aloe or alouette on uh, spadina and switch it to a quick service restaurant we we opened another another restaurant that was kind of still kind of leaning into that side of things and we had to make a big switch um Mm. any advice i would give is the the first most important thing is to listen to your customers right customers are going to tell you what to do if you just listen to uh, if you just listen to them um uh, couple things that we did we started doing focus groups because quick service it's really hard to get feedback from customers it's almost impossible we had to ask them really what they thought about the menu what they thought about this that poke and prod poke and prod try to read between the lines when you can um and at the end of the day if you're going to make a big change you can model things you could do this that and the other but eventually you just kind of have to go with your gut right you have to kind of think like okay is this the is this is the best move and sometimes you have to take a risk and like one of I think one of our values that we sometimes fall back on, we don't really talk about it much, but we like to take, you know, we like to be audacious and we like to make bold bets. And sometimes you just have to make a big bet and hope it works
0: out. So far it has. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, Content. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And uh, all the best with the uh, continued success with Alouette Go and your second location and the many, many locations after that.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great talking to you.